This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. As always, I've got my right-hand man, Kellen Fitty, here with me. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Joanna Newding, host of the very popular Casual Bake podcast, as well as the Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. Joanna, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Nice. Thanks for having me. I'm great. It's a beautiful day in Oakland, California. Dylan, how you doing today? I'm doing well, you know, enjoying another sunny day out in Colorado. So no complaints. I think before we dive into these questions, I'd love to learn a little bit about your background and how you got into the cannabis space. So that's a pretty big question because I've been on one hell of a roller coaster ride. But back in 2012, I quit a corporate marketing director job in Austin, Texas. I gave away all of my things. I sold my car and I moved to Bologna, Italy to ponder the question, how can I get paid to be myself? What would that look like? So I took a midlife retirement and um, posted up in Italy and spent the next 16 months dreaming up being host of Casually Baked the Podcast in your cannabis lifestyle guide. Amazing. Amazing. So I think before we dive into the hard-hitting questions, let's start with the hardest one of them all. Your go-to meal after consuming cannabinoids. You know, that's interesting because I think you shouldn't. Like once I consume, like if I eat, then it, the buzz starts going away. So I like to, um, to hold off. And then, of course, I'm going to get into some pasta. I mean, like... Pasta bolognese is one of my specialties. So I really like to get high and then get in the kitchen and cook and like work up the appetite and get excited about it. And of course, burn myself and maybe cut myself every now and again. But you know, harmless, harmless fun in the kitchen. (laughs) Amazing. See wherever nature just takes you in your experience. Was Italy a motivation for the pasta love or did you go to Italy because of your love for pasta? I think I might have been Italian in a former life, but I wasn't a cook. You know, I was nervous in the kitchen and I had been experimenting with making edibles. I had, I've always been more adventurous with cannabis than my friends were. And so, you know, when those very first vape pens came out with the little, you know, ceramic and the battery and you loaded a tiny little bowl and So I was always trying out new products. And then I started extracting the oil and making butters and then cookies and cupcakes and all kinds of stuff. You know, I was living in Austin, Texas, and it's the music capital of the world, I believe we call it. So I would make cookies and brownies and Rice Krispie treats and sell them to my friends before the major concerts and festivals. And there was one day I sold... $1,000 worth of cookies in a day. So that was my comfort level in the kitchen was just baking edibles. But if I couldn't invite somebody over for a meal, (laughs) I was nervous wreck. I can't make chicken. So, you know, when I moved to Italy, my whole process was I'm going to learn the art of doing nothing. I'm going to learn how to cook and I'm just going to, you know, be high and absorb this culture and figure it all out. And I cooked myself three meals a day and would, you know, I had my refrigerator was the size of one of those in our dorm rooms in college. So it's not like you can go to the store or, you know, fucking Costco or something. 
So I was buying food every two days and having such a good time learning to cook. And I didn't speak Italian and I didn't really have any intention of sitting in a classroom. So I started learning more Italian by hanging out with people in the kitchen. And so I started learning how to make really amazing sauces, how to turn leftovers into a, you know, a gourmet meal. And I kind of started learning Italian that way. And so when I came back to the United States, I was a really confident chef and I was super confident to talk to people because everybody could understand the words coming out of my mouth and I them. So um, that really was the best gift I ever gave myself. And, um, you know, I'm I'm single. Hello, everyone. So I'm single and I know how to cook now. So I feel like it made me a more marketable partner. (laughs) (laughs) Strong characteristics. We'll tag all the single men out there. Have have we experimented with any infused pastas, any sauces? This is a personal question of mine because for me, the experience of eating pasta is one of my favorite things. And if, if I can get an infused dinner at the same time, I mean, we are checking two at the same time. Is that something that you've kind of dabbled with? Well, what I do is keep an infused olive oil in my kitchen. Right now, I have a Humboldt blend. It's got three or four different strains from different farmer friends around um, Humboldt. And, you know, you have to be really careful about heating it to a certain point where you're not breaking it and, you know, losing all of the functional parts of the plant. And so what I end up doing is it's a drizzling of over your sauce at the end you know, right before you serve it to somebody or it's incorporating it into some sort of a salad dressing or something like that. But, you know, you don't want, after you've made the oil, you don't want to heat it up again. So it's just being clever with how you use it. But, you know, in my kitchen, I've got my grapeseed oil, my olive oil, my infused olive oil and my avocado oil. And so, you know, you just pull what you want and, you know, drizzle a little here and there. But I do add it to my granola recipe. And so then in the mornings, I get a little shot of THC with my breakfast every day. Best way to start the day. So how do you know like how much you're consuming when you're pouring it? Because sometimes for me, especially with infused olive oil, more is always better until it's it's too much more. So how do you kind of balance that when you're pouring it? Well, I think it's mostly making sure you know how much flour you have in the original recipe. So like I am creating an oil that is a microdose. You know, it's it's not something that's going to kick you in the pants. Now, I do have some other stuff that will kick you in the pants, but I don't put that in my food. So if you know how much flour is in there in the beginning, then when you're just drizzling some on, you you don't have anything to worry about. Now, I make it to where one fourth of a cup, because that's typically what a lot of dessert recipes like muffins, cookies, that kind of thing, it'll want a a fourth a cup of oil. And so I made it to where that one fourth a cup of oil makes a casually baked edible. Does that make sense? Because casually baked is the art of being functionally high. I've failed miserably at that being functionally high because for (laughs) me, sometimes it's, it's, this is awesome. I just need more and more. And for me, it gets harder to stop. So I guess like I'm just thinking about the experience of making that with, with my buddies and making the chicken wings and how amazing that sauce was and just how we just kept eating that. And I guess, Helen, your experience with that, you know, take us through that. Have you any dabbled with the infused olive oil? 
I haven't dabbled with infused olive oil. I have made butter and used the butter to make cookies, right? And it's very similar, actually. The first time we did it, we bought a, a bunch of a shake in college, right? And did the whole thing into a whole ounce into 10 sticks of butter. And we used all the butter to make four or five brownies. And like, we made the butter one night and one of my roommates got up early in the morning and actually went and made the brownies. And he was like eating the batter during the whole process. Then he had like a brownie and a half. And like me and my other roommate came downstairs at like 10 in the morning. And we were like, oh, well, like, let's, let's have a brownie. We're like, where's, where's our other roommate? And we like couldn't find him and we didn't see him for 24 hours. Right. And like, we talked to him the next day, he comes out of his room on Sunday (laughs) and he was like, I just had the craziest experience of my life. Like I was hallucinating and like, we like ended up doing the math and we're like, Oh yeah, he consumed a a quarter ounce in one sitting. (laughs) And that quantity of THC is definitely, I mean, there's a reason it's called a hallucinogen, right? Like you consume a ton of it. Um, but I did actually have a really pleasant experience at an infused dinner in 2018 at the MJ Biz Conference um, out in Vegas. And uh, it was done by the herbal chef. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he does a lot of really cool infusion stuffs. And and everything he was talking about was making that oil and exactly what you mentioned in terms of dosing it out properly for that quarter cup. And it was one of the most unique, awesome experiences of my life. It was like a seven course meal and like none of the actual food had it. It was all the sauces that were infused, right? And like that balance of like the actual casually baked aspect of it, it was, it was phenomenal because like throughout the course of the night, you could just look around and see everyone just kind of like getting like giggly and more happy. And like no one like actually hit that like super stoned wall. You know what I mean? Like everyone was still very, very social. So it, it definitely is an art form, in my opinion, in, in terms of managing that. And so I give my hats off for anyone that can make that make that a reality because it's beautiful when you're able to experience it. So there are a couple of fun ways that you can manage that. Um, I have been at a party once where someone made some amazing dessert and they made the exact same dessert where I call it unleaded, you know, without the weed in it. And so everybody, you had one of those and then she replaced the plate with the unleaded version. So when people came back and wanted more, they didn't accidentally keep consuming more THC. And then the other thing is to have a CBD infused oil so that you can have that little roller coaster of the THC takes you up and the CBD brings you down a little bit. And, you know, that's a a fun little ride, but easy ways that you can help manage it. How long does it take? It kind of kick in after you put the olive oil in any of your, your meals. Well, I think we're, you know, we're all different. I tell people we're all precious snowflakes and, you know, the way our genetics are, you know, I metabolize THC, I metabolize cannabinoids faster than most people. Um, so I can be high and back down again where I know people that have had an edible and they felt it for two and a half or three days. And I always thought they were full of shit until I had an epigenetic panel run and I found out exactly how cannabis interacts with my body. I know exactly how it all works. And so then I'm like, oh, they weren't crazy. That actually happens to some people. So, you know, I think 30, you know, for some within 30 minutes, they're probably feeling it. Some people, it may take a couple hours before they're really feeling something. But, you know, with CBD though, 
you just feel a lightness of being, you know, and some somebody that doesn't consume cannabis will be like, I'm high. You said I wouldn't feel high. I'm high. I'm like, no, you just have, you know, the weight off of your shoulders. And that's a lovely feeling. Yeah, that's, I think that's perfectly said. And I think for the people who are kind of kind of curious when they take CBD for the first time, they're anticipating to be high so much that any sort of alteration in their normal feeling, even if it's just kind of a a placebo effect, that kind of makes them believe, hey, I'm really high. Maybe they were CH in. And you're like, no, like just take a deep breath, like reset, and then realize that like you're just starting to relax and feel slightly different. Yeah. And the placebo effect is a huge thing. Like our minds are so powerful. It's, you know, we think it, we become it. You know, that is our thoughts become things. So yeah, if you think you're high, I guess you can probably will it to be. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right, let's dive into some fun questions. Cannabis tourism. What does that currently look like? Well, right now, I'm not sure what it looks like anywhere outside of where I live. And I think COVID has, you know, made it to where it's kind of non-existent. But as things are opening back up, you know, there are, besides the tours, you know, the tour buses that you can get on, that'll take you to some dispensaries. And, you know, in Colorado, I think it's, there's more of a party bus feel to it. Um, In California, in Northern California specifically, they've got this cannabis trail that's opening up where you're exploring the history of the cannabis culture in San Francisco and, you know, driving up the 101, there's the cannabis trail, I think is what they're calling it. But there will be placards up along um, historical markers that are showing like, this is where the first cannabis farm has been found, or this is where this person lived, or this is what happened here. And so, you know, I think it's going to depend on where you are as to what that might look like. But if somebody's visiting from a legal state, the thing that I'm trying to do as a cannabis lifestyle guide is, you know, if you've never experienced cannabis, I want you to be able to come to my state, my area, and have a positive experience because you have all of the basic knowledge and you have an idea of what you want and how you want to feel, you know? So we kind of craft an experience for somebody based around who they are and who they're hanging out with, you know, set and setting sort of things. And, you know, for me, what I offer people is behind the scenes looks at um, craft cannabis in the Emerald Triangle and what sustainable farming is and what home gardening cannabis looks like and how do you pick herbs to help make your own medicine. And I do, you know, medicine making classes with people and we cook a meal together. We play with the oils and, and all the time while we're hanging out, they're having a one-on-one or a small group setting with a cannabis lifestyle guide who's been living this life for 20 years. And, you know, I think that there is so much nuance that for somebody to just come in and, you know, they hit a dispensary, they overbuy, they get gummies. Everybody's like, well, I got to get the gummies. And then, you know, they head home and they're nervous to fly with it. So then they're like, you know, giving away gummies. I end up with more gummies (laughs) and I don't even eat them very much. 
But, you know, the thing is, there's such a diverse culture within cannabis. And I want to be able to show people exactly what they want to see. You know, I mean, some people that are, you know, they've loved their Colorado cannabis and they want to see what a giant indoor grow looks like, you know, and take them up the street to my friends at Nug and, you know, see a huge operation where it's seed to sale in this one building, you know, or we go up the road to Northern California and, you know, drive on a windy road for an hour and come to a clearing and there are water tanks and, you know, a giant cannabis farm. And, you know, there's just so much to see. And I think it's just enticing people with their current curiosities and and giving them an experience that they couldn't buy anywhere else. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked, the podcast. If you're looking for a -a one-of-a-kind cannabis-infused getaway, I invite you to join me in the beautiful wine and weed country of Sonoma County, California. As a cannabis lifestyle guide, I've cultivated a -a one-of-a-kind farm stay experience where you can enjoy the casually baked lifestyle and the magic of sun-grown cannabis farms and vineyards. Now, if you're into wine, weed, or both, get ready to have a high time customized just for you. Learn more at casuallybaked.com backslash travel. That's casuallybaked.com backslash travel. Sounds amazing. And I think it, it's so perfect for, for, as you described, the people, for example, on the East Coast who just haven't experienced these things, but have, have heard what's going on in Colorado and California and are interested in kind of seeing that because for some of the older generation here on the East Coast, you know, they have the experience of cannabis from back in the college or some of the tours. And, you know, getting to one of these facilities like you're describing, it has to be eye-opening for them. So where's the first place you take them when you when you get a small group that's kind of really interested and ready to go? Because obviously that first impression is so perfect when you see their faces and, and their eyes open up. Yeah, it's um, it's overwhelming for people when they walk into a dispensary. And I really do love watching people's faces when they walk in. But the very first thing that I do is I bring them into my studio and we have a lifestyle session. I'm just like, you know, when was the last time you smoked cannabis? When was the time before that? Right. You know, like, let's see how often you do this. And, and you know, what's your lifestyle like? What, you know, what, how comfortable are you being intoxicated? You know, have you ever consumed cannabis and alcohol simultaneously? Like all of these things are important, especially in California where we have this trifecta of, wine country, weed country, and craft beer and cider, you know, you do all three of those things. I've seen somebody get so cross-faded and fall out in the middle of a restaurant at like 6.30 in the evening. Like we're barely getting started. And so, you know, there are these cautionary tales that I like to be able to share with people after I kind of assess where they are. And then, you know, I think that dispensaries are also unique. I would take I take people to different dispensaries based on who they are. You know, whether it's um, a, a couple or you know a single person, somebody who is curious about the California sober lifestyle and wants to explore drinkables. I've got to take them to a dispensary that has a really good drinkable selection. So you know, for me, it just I do a little bit of homework based on um, the people that I'm with so that I can give them a completely unique experience. 
And Kellen, I, w- I want to go to you on this because on this podcast, we always talk about the education and the stigma and the, the massive challenge that it is in removing the kind of common stigma of the cannabis stoner. So from your perspective, I mean, it, it seems like she's nailing exactly the educational level. And I think, you know, what does the the feeling on the West Coast have with, with these East Coasters, with these wide eyes coming out and kind of experiencing this for the first time? Yeah, I mean, education is absolutely the most critical aspect associated with de-stigmatizing cannabis nationally, right? And I mean, the West Coast is a completely different world from the East Coast, in my opinion, just from the type of people that inhabit the West Coast versus the type of people that inhabit the East Coast. And so you do have to walk that really, really delicate line that uh, General was describing because the last thing the industry needs is someone to come out and go explore these things and be like, Oh my God, it is the devil's lettuce. And I'm going to go tell everyone that I got so messed up that I couldn't even see straight and it's worse than alcohol. And like, I was not like all these things are just, it's not what the industry needs. And so the, the way that she's approaching this is exactly how it needs to be, you know, from a a destigmatizing cannabis as well as educating, right? Like that balance is so crucial right now for the industry especially where it's at. And so, I mean, what, what's your stance on that coming from the East Coast, Brian, being kind of a younger generation, right? I mean, how would your parents uh, perceive going out to California and jumping on a nice like wine tour van situation, but instead of wine, they're going out and seeing these pot farms? Like what would be, what would be your father's kind of reaction to something like that? I think in his mind, this might be the greatest thing that ever existed. And (laughs) this might be worthwhile to move out forever because like, I can't wait to go share with him this idea and this concept and him to return, like how quickly can I get out there? Because, you know, what he used to experience from like rolling a tiny joint to what he could experience on your tour is just going to open his eyes to all these other things. And I guess I want to follow up with like, what's the typical age group that does something like this? Is it more on the younger side? Do you think it's better for the older side? Because Obviously, the tour is is dependent on the age group because you want to cater to them, like you said. So I'm just curious, you know, where do, where does the age fit in? You know, it's really, I believe it it can be all over the map. But when you're thinking about somebody who can afford to do something like this, I'm like, you know, mid 30s. But I have a woman coming out from North Carolina um, in the middle of July, and she lives a sober lifestyle, and she is curious about the California sober thing. And, you know, she and I've had sessions before over the phone or, you know, Zoom. And she's also a patron of the podcast, patreon.com backslash casually baked. And so I had said, that's not the first time you've done that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got to do what you can when you're a creator. Do it, do it. And so I had put this out there. I was like, okay, Guys, I now have access to a farm stay in the wine and weed country. I'm thinking about doing personalized experiences. And she immediately was just, sign me up. I, first of all, adore you. And I want to have you to myself for a few days. But I also want to experience being able to go to happy hour and have a cocktail, but it not be booze. And, you know, and so... She and I are going to explore the California sober lifestyle. And like I said, I'm going to teach her how to make her own tinctures and stuff so she can create this at home for herself, but then also um, let her try, you know, the hi-fi hops 
by, you know, Lagunitas and the Paps Blue Ribbons new um, lemon seltzer and, you know, Wonderland and all of these great drinkables. You know, one of the things that I like to explore within the drinkables market, because I'm into that as well, is, you know, the low sugar options. You know, you read the label and it's like, oh, well, this only has four grams of sugar. But then it says, once you get a little bit further down, it's like, oh, well, that's four grams of sugar for a three milligram dose. And I want 10 milligrams. So now it's not really feeling so low sugar to me anymore. So, you know, it's also educating people on how to explore that kind of stuff. Because if you are interested in a cannabis for wellness lifestyle, like I live, then you do care about the sugar content. But that's why I hate most of the gummies is because, you know, it's a gummy that's then, you know, covered in sugar crystals. And it's just like, why did you do that last part? I didn't need that. But they're just doing all this taste masking with sugar. And I just think that there's more competition in the industry. We're going to have a lot better options soon. People that are utilizing, say, monk fruit or, you know, date juice or something like that versus just raw sugar. I kind of went off on a tangent. Sorry. No. No, it's perfect. And for those who are just unfamiliar with the California Sober Wellness Pro, can you just kind of share just quickly what that is just so that they have some some understanding? Sure. So, you know, I am somebody who I, I still drink alcohol on occasion. It's mostly a really nice glass of red wine or an Aperol spritz on a hot afternoon, but it is replacing, you know, no hard drugs, you know, there any it's natural whole plant medicine um, for both wellness and entertainment. And so it's just a more mindful approach to socialization and, and being with your friends and imbibing. And so the opportunity really is, you know, to try it out and, um, and start kind of figuring out what that's like. And then, you know, incorporating alcohol in maybe the next day and seeing how you feel, like what's different. You know, for me, once I got north of 40, I started waking up with really bad headaches after not drinking very much. And so there was just this like seesaw effect of like, well, this night I had cannabis infused drinks and I woke up and I felt just fine. And this night I drank wine and I had a really rough day the next day. And so I think for people that live here and participate in it, you know, it it starts out as an experiment and then it quickly becomes a no-brainer. You're music to my ears because for me, the same way that one glass of wine and my body doesn't handle it so well, where those infused beverages, I feel great at night and the next day I feel normal. And if I was given an option right now of never having a hangover again, I would sign up every single time. And if that means never having booze again... You know, I mean, sure, I would, of course, have the occasional drink here and there. But, you know, that option and that ability to go to a beverage that kind of relaxes me and makes me feel good and wake up with that anger, it's it's a no-brainer. And, you know, I will admit that being a little bit red wine drunk and high is a fucking amazing feeling. Um, But, you know, it's like, okay, now we got to hit stop at like 830 or 845 and chug a liter of water before we go to bed. 
So, you know, I'm, I'll still do that, but I just know that I have to completely hydrate and be fine before I go to sleep. It's, it's hard to do. It is hard to do. And, you know, that's one of the things where I'm like, I constantly have to defend my lifestyle to my parents when they're like, you spend how much for rent? Why are you still living in California? I'm like, wine, weather, and weed. Like, you can't give me all of those things in Texas. And so, you know, when people come out here, I still want to showcase the amazing wine culture of California. And so, you know, when I do tours with people, it's like there will be a wine. If you're into it, there's a wine day. There's a weed day. You know, we can hit the mountains or we can hit the redwoods and go for a hike. Like I want to showcase wine, weather, and weed in this state and um, specifically in Northern California. And it's, it's just a beautiful mixture. Like when you can have all three of those things working together, like it's magic. Do you think vineyards will slowly adapt and, and kind of integrate that area into their facilities as well? Because if you could go to one destination, incorporate a little bit of both, I mean, you're now opening yourself up to such a wider consumer base. And at the end of the day, right, like you were saying, that pairing of the red wine and the nice little J works beautifully together. And sure, they're not upselling each other, but if it's both available, one might lead to the other. There are starting to be collaborations. And I will say within, you know, the last several years, there's been collaborations happening where I live of um, cannabis brands partnering with, you know, family wineries that they know. And um, I think the real connection and the real education for people there is it's about the tasting. It's about the nose. It's about the terpenes. So teaching somebody who understands wine the same way to assess cannabis. So allowing them to discern what they're smelling, what the flavor profile is on wine, and then set that down and then do the same thing with a paired cannabis um, flower. That's, you know, that's something that I've seen done. Um, A lot of it are at like what Kellen was talking about at the dinners, you know, these infused dinners where they are pairing the wine with the food, with the specific cannabis for that specific thing. And I think it has to happen in a really interesting collaborative way right now because, you know, of the legalities of things and not being able to mix the alcohol and the cannabis. But, you know, that's one of the things that I am, you know, trying to find the nuance in, you know, my friend who owns the the farm stay that I'm partnering with, you know, um, they have grapes on their property. It's a, an old wine family and she went to school and is a winemaker. And so, you know, I've said, Hey, I may tap you to teach a terpene class every now and again, and, you know, be somebody who goes along on the ride, um, with some more sophisticated wine drinkers, because I do want people to feel not only like they're having a really unique experience, but they're they're being a little bit challenged. They're learning something. You know, I think that's something that we should never stop doing. I am constantly curious and I want to um, infuse that in everything that I do so that when somebody leaves, they're like, that, that was the most magical experience. I will never forget that. That's what I'm looking for. Strong word choice with the infused. Yeah. 
I was going to say that that is definitely the direction. I mean, especially with California passing the Appalachian kind of laws, you can see the early formations of them trying to treat cannabis in the same fashion that their uh, that wine has been treated. And I think that that's going to really help separate cannabis from the quote unquote kind of commodity phrase that people have tried to classify cannabis as. Because I, I don't know if it really is a commodity based on the unique aspects associated with every single different strain, just like with grapes. So I think we're in the early stages of that right now, hopefully, right? Well, and I agree. And I think that that is the fun part for consumers is to give them the story. Because when we do go on a trip and we buy wine and then we're serving it to our friends at a dinner, you know, we're like, oh, this was was the most beautiful day. We went and we sat out on this farm and we pet the goats and did the thing. And, you know, everybody has a story about this wine. And now people can have a story about the cannabis. You know, there's one of my friend's farms. It's Huckleberry Hill Farms. It is the most beautifully manicured property you've ever seen. I mean, it showcases cannabis like I, I can't even. It's so beautiful. It brings tears to your eyes. I mean, all of the the plants that are helping like with pest control and the pest management, they just make sure they add pops of color and, you know, everything is just, it's just serene. And if someone thinks about a cannabis farm, they don't think of that. But the first time they lay eyes on that property, it will forever change them. And, you know, being able to walk somebody through that experience and have a second generation farmer teach them how to properly trim a bud and to grind and roll a farmer rolled, you know, joint, a big fatty, like, and then they get to take that home with them, you know, like, come on, it doesn't get better than that. And so, yeah, I think storytelling is going to be another really big piece of it. Guys, I want to talk to you today about one of our new partners, CESC. CESC is a nonprofit organization providing a compelling and complementary alternative. They represent the ability to harness a flexible, collaborative approach to scientific advancements. They are comprised of leading doctors and researchers in the cannabis and cannabinoid science space for almost a decade. Their act first, talk later operating principle has now led to a successful series of disruptive innovations in the cannabis science space. They need your help now. Join them, collaborate with them, or support them. Go to thecesc.org to get involved now. Together, we can change the world. What is the most common question that you feel as a cannabis lifestyle guy? Have you ever heard of this CBD? Do you recommend this one? (laughs) How do you respond to that? (gasps) You know what? I finally broke down and did a little bit of homework and found an affiliate. Because I'm like, I, geez, like there's a bazillion CBDs. And so now I just, I added a podcast affiliate page to my website. And if people ask for a CBD recommendation, I just send them there, you know, but it's like, you can take whatever you want. Just know where it was made, make sure that it has a QR code that actually has a certificate of analysis attached to it. Make sure you can read it. You know, if you got it from a gas station, it's already a little suspect to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's usually my response to it. It's like, where did you buy it? And it's like a gas station. It's like, well, 
we can start there and, and realize likely not a good purchase or the other people. It's like, I, I purchased a cream. Um, my mom will ask me, my friend purchased a cream and she didn't feel anything. And I was like, well, I don't know what she purchased. I don't know what she was intending to feel. I don't know anything about that. So if you'd like me just to make up a response, I'm happy to do that. Or I can get some more information. And it's, it's a, it's a challenge, right? Because you want to give people such a positive experience and let them know that like, there's, there's something to be there, but at the same time, you don't want to mislead them. And sometimes their expectations are, are just not real with reality. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I created educational resources. That was the very first thing I did. And it was me trying to make sense of it all myself. So, you know, going online, doing my homework, and I started piecing everything together into what I call the Cannabis Class Resource Guide. And so that's something that I sell on my website. It's something that I give away to people, you know, in my life that have lots of questions. And I'm just like, this is a short, quick, easy to read, nice, pretty graphics. And there's a glossary in the back. That way, if you don't even understand what a word is, look it up. And, you know, just otherwise, I'm like, I, you can hire me to do a, a personalized class with you, but that otherwise listen to my podcast. <laughs> Biggest misconception since you started working in the cannabis space. Hmm. Well, when I started, I guess it's been almost six years ago. The first thing I noticed that education was the giant gaping hole in the market. And I think the majority of people fancy themselves educators now. And, and that piece is getting better. I think the biggest misconception for people that don't work in the industry is that we're all getting rich, which isn't true. The other thing that I think is that misconception is that cannabis is cannabis and all cannabis is not treated or shouldn't be treated equally. You know, there is a looking under the hood that needs to happen. You know, if you if you believe that your indoor stuff is the best, like what are, what are the sustainability practices of the people that are growing that? You know, what's their footprint like? And, you know, we all vote with our dollars. And, you know, I think being educated consumers and understanding where your product comes from, you know, I preach it's so important to know your farmer. Now, whether or not you have the privilege like I do to know them personally, but at least having looked them up, gone to their website, see what their practices are, explored that certificate of analysis because, you know, cannabis is cannabis is cannabis is bullshit. Before we do, <laughs> before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests two questions. You could sum up your experience into one lesson learned or main takeaway to pass on to the next generation. What would it be? Live a highly inspired life. The last time you consumed any cannabinoids? Like five seconds before I got on this call with you. <laughs> All right. Prediction time. Regions across the United States, such as Sonoma, California, have gained reputation for being known as the wine country. Where will cannabis country be? And let's, 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 hold on. Before I do that, I don't want any easy answers. Let's, we can't take on bold. We got to take a little more of a challenge. Let's, let's try to guess a little. He had this conversation with me as well. He took that off the board. He said I wasn't allowed to to say Humboldt. <laughs> well, well or the know, Emerald Triangle. Sure. I think we can all chalk that up. We all agree that's that's the, the top spot. But if we were going to find, let's say, an up and comer or one that you would say 
is not commonly associated with cannabis country. Where do you think that could be? Hmm. Well, right now, Oklahoma is um, the hot wild west. I think that there is a lot of exciting things that could happen in Texas and Oklahoma and, you know, going up the the Bible belt. <laughs> but uh you heard you heard the trigger word there. So who knows what's gonna happen? But right now, as it stands, the Pacific Northwest is is the grandfathered cannabis country. Kellen's shaking his head. He yeah. agrees with me. Yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time up in Arcata and Humboldt. That's how I got my whole start in the industry. So I have just tremendous amount of respect for the, the individuals. And I mean, they carried the torch the last 30 years, you know what I mean? And some of the tricks of the trade and their knowledge in the space and doing it all being bootstrapped with helicopters flying above them is something that you got to give your hats off. And they're the reason the industry is where it's at, in my opinion. But as far as a second, a close second and kind of flying under the radar, every traditional grower I've talked to or been around and um, the biggest thing, dealing with humidity is really challenging, right? And so dry, arid climates really help from a pest mitigation standpoint in the cultivation process, right? And so I've talked to a lot of people that say um, back in the day that New Mexico was a really big hotbed just because of the ease of, of growing. You didn't have to use nearly as many tricks or tools to kind of mitigate any pests and that dry, arid climate made curing a much easier, faster process. So I would say that there's a lot of potential in like the New Mexico area, even maybe Arizona, if you can find some, some locate like an oasis, right? With enough water to keep them fed. So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. But um, I know that a lot of the best growers I've ever talked to have, have mentioned that dry, arid places, the middle of the desert, if you have water, that would be a sweet, sweet place to grow some fire. Well, then... Uh, my family's ranch might be a hotbed. But I did talk to some growers who were in the desert and they were using just drip irrigation. And yes, I, I think also with the the First Nations, like if they can get some sort of laws in place, like when I was driving from Oakland back to Texas during the pandemic to hang out with my family for a month and I was driving you know, I like taking the back roads and seeing things. And I was so sad driving through New Mexico and seeing like where these tribal nations have been pushed to. And I'm like, there's nobody driving through here to go to your little business or get gas at your gas station. Like there's, it was just sad and desolate. And I'm like, if they, if cannabis could turn those very micro-populated places around, that would be such a beautiful thing. Yeah, I, I think that's really well said because like we've seen when new states come online, there's such a rush for people to kind of dump those dispensaries. And if they can get a more personalized one-on-one -on -one experience, it would definitely drive traffic to some of these areas and, and definitely improve some of the, the way things are done. Well, and also there's opportunities now for like, drone delivery and, you know, and trying to create some sort of opportunities where, you know, if there was some distribution center that could be um, populated there. And I, I don't know. I just think we can get super creative um, and support these communities that have been, you know, downtrodden from the things that our government have has done to them. So it's like, 
can we make up for that now? So Joanna, before we wrap, where can our listeners get in touch with you? Where can they connect? Where can they learn more about the podcast and the lifestyle guide? I tried to make things super easy just for you. So casuallybaked.com, at casuallybaked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And actually, if you love cannabis and you want to support the cannabis creator community, go to WeedTube, folks. Go to WeedTube.com. A lot of creators that got taken down from YouTube and were never able to get back on that platform, they crowdfunded and put together this site. And so I recently have started my own page and I'm starting to upload some stuff there so that I can help support these other content creators that did get dumped off YouTube. I'm still on there, but I create highly responsible content that doesn't ruffle a lot of feathers. But um, but I recognize that I'm lucky that I can still be there. So WeTube.com, support it, check it out. We'll link all that in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Yes. One thing, if people are curious about the actual travel piece, there's a hidden page on my website. If you go to casuallybaked.com backslash travel, you will um, get to a little form that asks you some questions, um, asks what you're interested in, what months you would want to travel, and kind of gets the conversation started with me on the cannabis-infused travel. Why do you hide it? For exclusivity to make it fun? Well, yes. And I worked in real estate for a while. And I don't want to be somebody that you can just find on Airbnb kind of a deal. It's a, a pocket listing, if you will. So if you know somebody's got to know somebody or they've got to have heard me on the dime or you know whatever that is to find it. Well, you just saved me sending you an email asking where the form is because <laughs> Helen and I will definitely be taking you up on that trip as soon as we, we get back on the road. Thank you so much for your time. Yes. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. This was fun. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.